Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Lower and Outer Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In this week's edition, we've got stories about damage to local schools from last weekend's deep freeze, as well as a report from scientists looking into the causes of the Provincetown flood in December. Will David has your exclusive WOMR Weekend Weather Outlook, and Ira Wood is here to say he's glad that the Patriots aren't in the Super Bowl this year. In Orleans, a six-year-old boy died after suffering injuries in a fire Saturday night. The Orleans Fire Department received reports of a fire at a house on Route 6A at 8.40 p.m. When they arrived, they saw smoke and fire coming from the second floor. The Orleans Fire Chief ordered a second alarm, bringing mutual aid from other communities, and firefighters entered the house. They contained the fire, and the flames were fully extinguished in about 20 minutes. The boy was a student at Harwich Elementary, and the Monomoy School District has devoted additional staffing and outside resources to Harwich Elementary School this week to help students and staff deal with the loss. Officials on Wednesday said the fire was unintentional and likely caused by a faulty electric fan. The two-and-a-half-story building on Route 6A includes four apartments and an office. The cold snap last weekend left as quickly as it arrived, but it also left problems in its wake for several local schools and the Cape Cod National Seashore. The most serious damage occurred at East Ham Elementary School, where pipes burst on the top floor of the three-floor wing and water seeped through to each of the lower floors, according to Nosset School District Superintendent Brooke Clenchy. The school was closed for three days as restoration crews assessed the damage and tried to dry out the affected area. Officials expected to reopen the school yesterday. There was also damage at Eddy Elementary School in Brewster, where a pipe burst in the front foyer. According to Clenchy, restoration crews were able to remove damaged pieces of the walls and ceiling and restore water and heat, allowing that school to reopen on Monday. The Forestdale School in Sandwich was also closed Monday due to cold snap damage. A burst pipe at the elementary school released a considerable amount of water that will require substantial cleanup in 13 classrooms. Burst pipes also closed the Cape Cod National Seashore's Salt Pond Visitor Center in East Ham until further notice. At East Ham Elementary, the second, third, and fourth grade classrooms were heavily damaged and will remain closed for weeks. Those grades will have to move to another part of the school while contractors do their work. The elementary school is owned by the town, although it is run by the district, so the town will have to pay for repairs. Town Administrator Jackie Beebe said she does not know the cost and is waiting for an insurance claim to be processed. 
Truro Police Chief Jamie Calise has announced that he's looking to add a new position to his department to serve as the resource officer at the Truro Central School. The announcement came in the January edition of the monthly newsletter published by the town manager and staff. The proposal left the public looking for more information about what the officer's role would be, and school superintendent Stephanie Costigan, who supports the plan, reported that some staff members at the school had raised questions about the need for a police presence. In his statement, Calise wrote that the primary purpose of a resource officer is to promote safety and a positive climate for all students, families, and staff. Staff members had questions about why it was felt that students and staff felt unsafe now. Staff members also asked Costigan what added benefit a resource officer would provide when staff will soon be trained in diversion, de-escalation, and management strategies as part of a school safety program. Town manager Darren Tangeman told the Budget Task Force in Truro that the resource officer position would be fully funded by an override. The public would have several opportunities to ask questions and give opinions. While many police departments in Barnstable County have school resource officers on their rosters, Brewster, Provincetown, and Truro do not. And Wellfleet has a liaison arrangement with the school rather than a dedicated resource officer. The East Ham Police Department has a memorandum of understanding with the Nosset Regional School District that has a full-time officer assigned to Nosset Regional High School every day. According to Chief Adam Bohannon, an officer is also assigned to East Ham Elementary School, although that officer is not present at the school every day. Costigan said the plan in Truro is not to have the resource officer always at the school. She envisions the officer being there to help with traffic at the start and end of the school day. Truro's police department currently has 10 officers, with two additional recruits now in the police academy. There are also two open positions. The Wilkins Family Dental Hygiene Clinic at Cape Cod Community College will offer free dental services to children Tuesday, February 21st through Thursday, February 23rd. The services will include free dental exams, cleanings, fluoride treatments, and dental hygiene instruction. The college's dental hygiene students will be providing the services under supervision by licensed dental hygienists. For more than 20 years, the Wilkins Family Dental Hygiene Clinic has provided these free services during school breaks. The free clinic will resume again in April. Patients requiring further treatments will be referred to their dentist if they have one. If they don't, information about a local dentist within the community will be provided to them. Appointments must be scheduled in advance, and a parent or legal guardian must be present with the child. For appointments and information, you can call... 774-330-4371. The Animal Rescue League of Boston's Cape Cod Shelter has had an influx of 75 cats that need new homes. The animals come from several different homes in Norfolk and Bristol counties. Mike Defina, Media Relations Officer for the Animal Rescue League, said there wasn't any sort of cruelty or neglect involved, But the caretakers passed away, and the families needed some help. 
The majority of the cats transferred to Brewster have been spayed or neutered. The kittens have been placed into the animal foster care network, where they will remain until they are ready to find new homes. The organization, which celebrated its 100th anniversary last year, has operated the Brewster Shelter since 1965. People interested in adopting a cat can call 617-426-9170, extension 305, to reach the Brewster Adoption Center. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn. The historic district in Provincetown has been underwater twice in the last five years. The first flood came when the nor'easter of January 2018 caused seawater to flow down Gosnold Street and form a three-foot-deep pool on Bradford Street, soaking the basement of Town Hall and dozens of nearby homes and businesses. This past December 23rd, the same basic thing happened at a different location. Provincetown Harbor was whipped by winds from the southeast, sending seawater into Provincetown's east end, down Daggett Lane and Howland Street, and again forming a pool on Bradford Street. Businesses, houses, and basement apartments were flooded, and many people who lived in the area are still displaced, looking for new homes or waiting for repairs. Both storms pushed seawater on routes that had been precisely mapped by geologists. Since 2016, Provincetown has had detailed maps of its flood pathways created by scientists at the Center for Coastal Studies. Mark Borelli, head of marine geology at Coastal Studies and the lead scientist on the mapping project, said the maps predict where water will flow if the height of water in the harbor reaches various benchmarks above the mean lowest low tide line. The mapping showed that although there are many possible routes for seawater to inundate parts of Provincetown, some areas were threatened by only one or two specific channels. The Gosnold Street path was one of them, and it wound up funneling seawater onto Bradford Street and into Town Hall just 18 months after the scientists published their work. That 2018 storm was much worse than forecast. The atmospheric pressure dropped so low that the harbor rose nearly a foot above the National Weather Service's storm surge forecast to 15.4 feet above the low tide line. That was enough to put the Gosnold Street path under about 7 inches of flowing water. After the 2018 storm, Provincetown began working to install a dune to block the Gosnold Street flood path a taking by eminent domain of the beach access rights needed to build and maintain the dune was authorized by town meeting voters in September of 2020. The town voted to fully fund the construction of the dune at Gosnold Street at town meeting in 22, but the dune itself is still not under construction. Five years after the 2018 storm, An unusual winter sou'easter hit this past December. It produced a smaller storm surge in the harbor, cresting at 13.8 feet, but nonetheless managed to flood three more of the storm-tide pathways that Borelli and his team had mapped in 2016. 
The most severe flooding was at Howland Street and Daggett Lane, where salt water flowed across Commercial Street and all the way to Bradford Street. After the storm, Borelli walked Provincetown's east end, looking for indications of the pathway the flood waters had followed. His observations led him to form a hypothesis that the ground there is lower now than when it was measured in 2016. Some houses had to be lifted as the result of a national flood insurance program requirement. Scientists think some of these spots are lower because the house is no longer acting as a barrier. There had also been a dune in front of the Ice House condominiums in 2018 that's no longer there. Borelli also said water can get through in areas of wear and tear, such as bulkheads with holes in them that aren't doing the job they're supposed to be doing. All of these could be reasons there wasn't flooding in these locations in 2018, but there was in December. Water surged across at least three properties during the Howland Street flood, 509, 505, and the Ice House at 501 Commercial Street all had water flowing across them. Fortifying all those pathways could be a much bigger job than the Gosnold Dune, according to Borelli. As more houses are raised in the future, the elevation of the land around them could become more important. He said the next step is to update the map with observations made after the December storm. Knowing where water is likely to come in and at what tidal and storm surge conditions will help guide corrective measures. Solutions could include raising roads higher when they're paved or undertaking beach nourishment projects. Borelli said any construction that increases the risk of opening a water pathway should be accompanied by equal staging of prevention measures. Candidates for select board, school board, and a range of other elected committees and commissions began pulling nomination papers at town halls this week, collecting the signatures needed to qualify for the ballot and turning in documents to officially begin their election campaigns. In Truro, the filing period has begun and will end on March 10th. In Wellfleet, candidates have until Monday, March 13th to file papers. In Provincetown, until Friday, March 17th. And in Eastham, until March 28th. In Truro, seven elected positions will appear on the ballot on May 9th and four incumbents have already pulled papers. Stephanie Rain's term on the select board is up, and she'll be seeking re-election. School committee incumbent Colby Blame's term is also up, and he told the Independent that he's planning to run again. The last day to register to vote in Truro's town election is April 15th, and mail-in ballots can be requested as late as May 2nd. In Wellfleet, there are nine positions to be filled on Election Day on May 1st, and eight incumbents have already taken out papers. Select Board Chair Ryan Curley will be seeking re-election, as will Town Moderator Dan Silverman. Nauset School Committee Chair Chris Easley has also pulled papers for his run at re-election. The last day to register to vote in the town election in Wellfleet is April 14th, and mail-in ballots can be requested as late as April 24th. 
In Provincetown, eight positions will be elected on May 9th, at least three of which have no incumbent seeking office. On the select board, Bobby Anthony has announced he's not running again after nine years on the board. Anthony also served in Provincetown's police department for 32 years, 10 of them as chief. The other select board seat up for election this year in Provincetown is currently held by Louise Venden, and she told The Independent she's still undecided about running for another three-year term. The last day to register to vote in the Provincetown town election is April 19th, and the last day to request a mail-in ballot is May 3rd. Unlike the other Outer Cape towns in East Ham, the head election official, the town clerk, is itself an elected job. Incumbent clerk Cindy Nicholson has decided to retire after four years, meaning the clerk's office will be one of a few races that won't have any incumbents at the May 16th election. Nicholson said she's supporting the assistant town clerk Linda Sassy in her run for the clerk's office. Two select board seats will appear on the ballot in East Ham this May. Incumbent Arthur Ottorino told The Independent he will run for another three-year term, while incumbent Amy Ekman said she has not yet made up her mind. The last day to register to vote in the East Ham town election is April 21st, and the last day to request a mail-in ballot is May 9th. Amplify POC Cape Cod will use two ARPA awards totaling $110,000 to start an equity fund for students and business owners. Founder and CEO Tara Vargas Wallace said the nonprofit will use the money to launch two programs. The first will award 10 grants of up to $5,000 to businesses owned by people of color so they can expand and stabilize their operations. A second program will be for students of color. Amplify will distribute up to 10 student stipends of up to $500 each. State Representative Kip Diggs and State Senator Julian Sear helped secure about $50,000 and $60,000 respectively through House and Senate allocations. Amplify was founded in 2020 in part to help change the equity gap on the Cape and support POC-owned businesses. Since its inception, Amplify has hosted vendor fairs and educational programming such as business planning, grant writing, leadership, and networking events. Applications for both programs are available online at amplifypocapecod.com in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. The deadline to apply for both programs is April 20th. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. This is meteorologist Will David with your weekly weather watch and temperature trend for the Outer Cape. After the once-in-a-generation Arctic outbreak last week that lasted less than 36 hours, the upper level pattern has reverted back to what has been a common theme this winter, warmer than average. This afternoon, under lots of sunshine and gusty southwest winds, temperatures will reach well into the 50s, some 15 to 20 degrees above average for this time of the year. 
Now, cooler Canadian air will begin moving back across the Outer Cape later tonight and Saturday as high pressure slides across New England. Meanwhile, a coastal storm will begin taking shape off the Georgia or South Carolina coast this weekend and begin moving northeast. This storm, in combination with that area of high pressure to our north, will create a fairly tight pressure gradient, keeping it rather breezy, if not windy at times, over the next several days. Eventually, the storm should come close enough to bring some rain along with the wind on Monday. After that storm departs, the air that follows will be more Pacific in origin, so look for fair weather with above average temperatures on Valentine's Day and into part of Wednesday, before another storm over the southern plains heads this way with more rain. The overall pattern will stay pretty active with another inside runner or warm, windy, wet weather system by the end of the week or even next weekend. In the longer term, above average temperatures should continue, but there are now signs of more Arctic air and a possible return of the polar vortex before the end of the month, which could linger into early March. Stay tuned. Elsewhere across the nation, the South will continue to experience rounds of strong to severe storms in a more April-like weather pattern. This is now the sixth consecutive week of severe weather encompassing the Deep South in a region now experiencing the earliest start to spring in over 40 years. And the warmth isn't just confined to this part of the country. The growing season is 20 to 25 days ahead of schedule for most areas east of the Rockies. And even here in New England, Forsythia have been blooming in parts of coastal Maine in the month of February for the first time in memory. As the eastern half of the country stays above average, the west is cooling dramatically with more rain, wind, and mountain snow for California and the Sierras. In fact, the Sierras haven't seen a seasonal snowpack this immense since the winter of 83-84, or almost 40 years ago. And finally, what caused the worst earthquakes in over a century in Turkey and surrounding Syria? Turkey sits in an earthquake hotspot where three of Earth's tectonic plates converge. The Arabian, Anatolian, and African plates not only meet in this part of the world, but also slide past and squeeze against each other constantly, and that builds up friction and stress. According to leading seismologists, the pressure building along these plates before being released as this massive and deadly quake may have been building for two to 300 years. As this pressure was released, the plates, especially the Anatolian plate, apparently shifted 10 feet and rose 14 inches per second for up to two minutes with a catastrophic force beyond imagination. Now my exclusive WOMR weekend weather forecast for the Outer Cape. This afternoon, mostly sunny and unseasonably mild with a gusty southwest wind. Highs around 58. Tonight, mostly clear, breezy, and turning cooler. Lows around 37. Saturday, bright sunshine, breezy, and more seasonal. Near steady temperatures around 42. Sunday, partly sunny, and you guessed it, continued breezy. Highs around 47. As always, stay safe and informed by keeping an eye to the sky and an ear to the radio. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I'm Weather Will.
I'm a rock-solid, die-hard, do-or-die, gopher-broke, ravingly superstitious New England Patriots fan, which is why I am very happy they are not playing in this Sunday's Super Bowl. I admit this notwithstanding the fact that over the past two decades I have done everything I possibly could to help the team, and I am hardly alone. The Boston Globe once reported a story in which a season ticket holder sold his seats on the 50-yard line because he was at the Super Bowl game when the Pats lost to the Giants and he didn't want to jinx them the following year. The Cape Cod Times had a story by a sports writer who got so anxious about the Patriots that he had to record their games and only watched if the Patriots won. Personally, I get so nervous watching the Patriots that I have to walk out of the room if they don't complete a pass. If they're playing an away game, I can't stand to hear the opposing fans booing, so I turn off the sound. I do this even when listening on the radio. Many fanatic fans wear the same article of clothing for every one of their team's games, a jersey or a hat is the usual, and the trick is not to wash it, which is sometimes problematic when that article of clothing is a lucky pair of underwear. Dallas Cowboys fans, by the way, are notorious for their rank-smelling underwear. I hate the Dallas Cowboys. Some fans eat mountains of one lucky food. This is especially helpful to prolong wind streaks, but science tells us that stuffing your face lights up the reward system in the brain, so it also makes it easier to accept a loss. Obviously, Buffalo Bills fans eat chicken wings with hot sauce and blue cheese. New Orleans Saints fans eat thick bowls of good luck gumbo, which is basically a gumbo recipe that adds black-eyed peas to the roux. People who love the Chicago Bears go with deep-dish pizza. In Green Bay, they go with cheese. Although I personally order out pizza for the biggest games, it is interesting to note that the last time the Patriots won the Super Bowl in 2019, the country as a whole ate one point. 3 billion chicken wings, which, if laid end-to-end, is enough to circle the earth three times. And as far as the Dallas Cowboys are concerned, well, anybody who roots for them can eat crap as far as I'm concerned. Most rabid fans have built their own lucky pregame playlists to pump them up before the game. Mine includes Enter Sandman by Metallica, Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne, We Will Rock You by Queen, Country Grammar by Nelly, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, and Let's Go Crazy by Prince. There are about 14 songs in all, and I have to change them according to circumstances. For instance, when the Giants beat the Pats in the Super Bowl, I dropped Nirvana because I found out it was on Eli Manning's playlist. The truth is, being a fan can be exhausting, losing sleep after night games, not to mention your appetite after Sunday afternoon 
beatdowns, coping with the bad politics of the owners, the coaches, and the players, not to mention injuries, bungled red zone attempts, and idiotic calls by the refs. But this year, once I accepted the fact that the Pats were a middle-of-the-road team and probably would remain so for years, I started to relax, to enjoy the game again, to pay attention to the plays, to eat foods that wouldn't give me heartburn, even to leave the sound on during away games. I started to root for other teams, too, only in blue states, of course, and only for cities that really needed a psychological boost. Philly, Buffalo, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Cleveland. And the best part is, I really don't care who wins the Super Bowl, as long as it's never the Dallas Cowboys. I'm Ira Wood, and that's my opinion. And that's it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn, Will David, and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Henry and Jane Fisher and Jacob Greenberg for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. And now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz. It's Stirred Not Shaken with Hank and Andy on listener-supported community radio. WOMR.